Amen. Hallelujah. One of the things we've spotted uh, once or twice on television out here has been the Antique Roadshow. And I think it's uh, borrowed from the UK. I've never actually watched it in the UK. Uh, but over here, you watch what you can. And uh, I've, uh, I've, 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 <laughs> I've seen just bits of it occasionally. And what you see is that people suddenly kind of discover in their garage or somewhere something of great worth. And uh, when I watched it, they were showing these beautiful miniatures, these paintings, which you think, how on earth do they do that? And, you know, the guy's looking at it and evaluating it, and then you wonder how he does it, but he comes up with the figure and says, actually, this is worth, like, 15,000 pounds. And people kind of, ah, wow, I had in my back room all this time, passed down from mother to father to child and down, uh, something worth thousands of pounds. I didn't know I'd got it. And uh, it's an amazing show from that point of view. And I guess there's this great line of people queuing up uh, with their stuff, which I hope will be worth lots of money. Another strange thing that happens in the UK is that um, we have the lottery over the last few years, of the lottery, but recently I read an article saying they're trying to work out what to do with the phenomenal amount of money that's never collected, that no one claims. And so someone bought it but didn't bother to pursue it. They got the pit ticket and never took notice of what they bought. So, so people kind of got something, but they're in danger of missing what they've got. Uh, they could have it, but they don't turn up. And uh, they wait for them, wait for them, wait for them, wait for them. And then they say, well, maybe we'll have an auction. Maybe we'll do this to work out what to do with the unclaimed stuff. Stuff lying around that belongs to you and isn't being used. And uh, that reminded me of a, uh, a scripture which I just want to read to you. And you needn't turn it up. It's only one verse. All right, so it says in Hebrews 6 and verse 12, we don't want you to be lazy or sluggish. It says in uh, the NASB, which I'm reading, I don't want you to be sluggish, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. All right? We don't want you to be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, Inheritance is a big Bible theme. You'll find lots of things about inheritance in the Bible. But we don't tend to think of faith for salvation as something that takes patience. One of the great things about uh, our evangelical faith is this, that we know that in the moment you believe, in that moment, you are saved. It doesn't take any patience. You find that uh, Paul is at Philippi, he's preaching the gospel, he's imprisoned. You remember the story, perhaps, in the middle of the night, He's in prison, he's praising, singing, worshipping in those terrible circumstances. But as he's praising, God acts powerfully. There's an earthquake and the Philippian jailer cries out as he sees the situation and sees that these guys have not fled and he thought he's in peril because his prisoners have escaped. But they're not escaping. They're saying, it's okay, don't be scared. Everything's all right, we're here. And the guy who has heard them preach before he's been put in prison, he still shouts out, what must I do? to be saved? What can I do to get into what you've got? And Paul doesn't say, well, you need some patience. Uh, really, you've just got to endure. Uh, it's quite important that you learn uh, to imitate. No, no, he just says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And you know, that's what we love about the gospel. You can, in that moment that you believe, though you came in aware of guilt, 
and failure and falling short of the glory of God and not having enough righteousness to present to God, you can believe. And in the moment you believe, you're accepted. We love that. We love that about the gospel that God promises. He that believes has eternal life. To as many as received him, to them he gave the authority to be children of God. Hallelujah. It can happen in a moment. That's what happened to me. First time I ever heard the gospel. I was, uh, uh, my sister went to London to go on the stage, came home a Christian. And she said, can I speak to you? One late Saturday night, I came home, and she said, I've become a Christian. I said, we're all Christians, aren't we? And she said, no, 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 I've been born again. I said, what on earth are you talking about? What's born again? She said, I know all my sins are forgiven. Oh, come on. I know I'm going to heaven. Oh, come off it. And I argued with her. And that night, by the time she'd finished, she said, Jesus is alive. And you know, when she said it, I knew it was true. It's that amazing thing. I suddenly knew, hey, Jesus is alive. And that very first night I ever heard, I knelt down in my own home and I asked Christ to come into my life. And I was born again. I felt it happen. I knew, I thought, oh, my God, you're here. And I started crying to my amazement. I'm a kind of cool teenager. And I'm crying, God, God was there. It can happen. That night I went out. I don't know where I'd been. I came home. I'm not looking for it. But I, came, I became a Christian that day. God started a story that's gone on for decades. It started in a moment. We love the gospel that it can happen in a moment. We, don't, we just have to take it. And that may be your experience this morning. You just have to take it. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home. You know you've been around. But you've never actually taken it for yourself. Maybe today's your day where you say, no, I want this. I want to make sure today. But you can have that immediately. But here... Uh, the guy who's writing this particular part of the Bible in Hebrews 6 and verse 12 says, we don't want you to be sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience. So there's some other promises that need faith and patience. Not just the promise of salvation, eternal life, but promises that take time to inherit. As I was saying, Abraham reminds us of inheritance. God said to him, I give you the land. I give you a land I stretch out before you. I'm, I'm calling you. Now follow me and I'll give you a land. I'll give you not only a land, I'll give you children. I'll give you a seed. I'll give you eventually one seed, Christ, who will affect the whole nations. Abraham, you're not just right with me, which the moment he believed, God said, now you're right with me. Wow, I'm right with God. He said, now that's not all there is to it. I've got an inheritance for you. I've got possessions, I've got a land, I've got through your children, all the world. I calling you is going to affect the whole world. When God calls you, you have no idea what he's going to invest in your life. You have no idea what he's got planned up. I had no idea as a very worldly teenager and went to bed that night. I had no idea what God had in mind. God's got all kinds of things in mind for us when he starts. So he said to men like Abraham, look, I've put a land before. He said to Moses, when he came to the land in Deuteronomy 1, says, look, see, I've placed the land before you. Go and possess it. So possession in God, inheriting things in God's name is an important part in the Bible. Joshua 1 says, you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. A land of fruitfulness. See, they had come out of slavery and desert conditions. 400 years. 
of slavery is all that that nation had known. They were born as one family, went down to Egypt, they were turned into slaves, and for 400 years they were slaves. Then God said, come out, 40 years through a desert, and then now here's a land for you. Now you're going to learn, not just to pick up manna, you're going to learn to sow seeds. You're going to learn to have a harvest. You're going to learn to how to handle the harvest. I'm going to call you to fellowship with me, learn how to be fruitful, how to work with me. I'm going to work through you, I have purposes for you. So fruitfulness is part of the call. See, Jesus said to some guys, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Not just follow me, we'll go to heaven. Follow me, I'll make you fishers. I'm, I'm going to make you influential. I've been working through Mark's Gospel these few weeks. I've been out here and just going through it slowly in a commentary and so loving it. Jesus called four fishermen. And that's the beginning of the church. Just four guys. James and John, Peter and Andrew. And that's the beginning of the church. Just come with me. Think, wow, four guys. That's the beginning of the church. That's now millions and millions around the world. Jesus calls us and says, I'll make you into something. I'll give you fruitfulness. I'll make you influential in my kingdom plan. I've got plans for you. I've got purposes in calling you. And those purposes are wrapped up in the very purpose he had for Jesus, where we read in Psalm 2, the father says to the son, you're my son. Now ask me, I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. God's call on us, dear friends, has global significance. Worldwide. It's huge. So going to church isn't just some kind of moral thing, you know, I do this, I'm an insurance agent, I go to that church occasionally, but this is what I do. No, really, the center of gravity becomes, I'm part of this incredible thing God is doing around the world. I also sell insurance. I also teach. I also am a nurse. But what I am is I'm bearing fruit for God. Because the eternal God who made the heavens has called me. The God who made out of nothing all there is has called me with huge significance and purpose. And I can get caught up in something, an inheritance, something that will last forever, something that when we fall asleep in this world, we wake up and God says, now enter into so much that you have given. Watch how it breaks through. See what I've brought you into. And so here's the alternative. He says, I want you to inherit. But sadly, the writer says this, look, I don't want you to be sluggish. I don't want you to grow lazy, I think it says in the NIV, but to inherit. These are the two alternatives. So let's just uh, consider what is it makes people sluggish? What turns us off? What makes us slow down? What makes us not run into all that God has for us? Well, first of all, I think sometimes it comes from not realizing what the church is. That we go to church and we don't understand what God's brought us into. And for me, I must say, I found this a tremendous week. I didn't find last weekend very tremendous. I'm sorry. I missed three weekend meetings, just throwing up and being sick in my lovely apartment. I'm very uh, sorry about that. missed being here. But I've been at the week of prayer every night, and it's just been great. It's been great being part of a church that not only prays for itself and its program, but it's praying for Brisbane and praying for Perth and praying for Melbourne and praying for city after city and then praying for New Zealand, even as we have in the meeting, and then praying for the nations, praying for Manila, praying for Phnom Penh, praying for Japan. And, and I think, gosh, these people know what we're on the earth for. They know what church is. We're here for God's great glory in the nations. 
Now you can go to church and not be in a church that has that acquaintance at all. You can go to church and not that local church may not realize what the church is, that it's a light to the nations. They can just think, well, it's a place you go, it's a little social context, a little club. And it's sometimes we get sluggish because, sadly, we were never exposed to a church with understanding of what the church is. We never were laid upon a foundation of apostolic prophetic vision. We thought church is just a place where my needs are met. We thought church is where you just, well, I can get my kids cared for and people will teach my kids to be godly and nice here and people might care for me now do you know it's great the church is very caring it's one of its its offshoots of what it is but that's not its raison d'etre that's not why we're here we're here to fulfill the commission of Jesus go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all the nations that's what we're here for that's the manifesto of the church and so you can you can get sluggish because you go to a church where you're never exposed to that you're never hearing people pray, oh, God, break through in Japan. God, because, well, so you get sluggish because, well, you know, I turn up, don't I? I'm here, I put my money in. And so you can get sluggish through lack of expectation. Sometimes, as I was taught in the church I first went to, which was a good Baptist church, lovely pastor, but his theology was, we're in the end times, and in the end times, the church will grow weaker and weaker. That was his theology. And he said we were in the Laodicean age. So he thought the seven letters in Revelation were seven ages. We're in the seventh age where things will just grow worse and worse. So the message was, hold on. Jesus is coming one day. They'd never read verses like this. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. They'd never seen things like Daniel saw a great statue with a golden head and shoulders uh, and then silver and bronze and clay, and then saw this little stone that was hurled at this great statue which speaks of human skill and nationhood, and the stone breaks the feet, and that statue falls, and the little stone becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. And the Bible says that's what the kingdom of God is. We're the answer to the breakdown, and the moral collapse, the terrible heartache and heartbreak in the world. God wants his church to grow and grow. So you can grow lazy and sluggish because, well, I turn up, don't I? And so being exposed to a big vision changes that. Secondly, another thing that can lead to our growing sluggish is we have a, a low self-image. Even in the Bible, we find that when they were ready to inherit and God said, right, there's the land, they sent some spies who had a look and they looked and they said, look at the walls of those cities. Look how big that guy is. And they came back and they said, look, we can't do it. It's not, we can't, we haven't got what it takes to invade that place. We haven't got the resources to get in there. They said, we're like grasshoppers. Come on. How can you possibly take that? Come on. We can't do that. We haven't got it. And it says God was furious. It's important we catch how furious God was. It's referred to in the Psalms and then in the book of Hebrews. It says, God was furious with that generation. He says, how long are they going to despise me? And I think they could have said, no, we didn't say anything about you. We're talking about how we feel like grasshoppers. God says, listen, I've said it before you. How dare you treat me like this? He's furious with them. And they said, well, but we're just grasshoppers. He said, I put the land before you. Go and take it. So sometimes when we say, well, I can't possibly... 
God's saying, come on, come on. And sometimes we think that's humble. Oh, well, I'm not very good. See, that's what happened to... The Bible is so real, isn't it? So God calls Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says, I'm too young. God says, don't say you're too young. Gideon says, I'm just the least in my father's house, and my father's house has nothing to write home about. He says, God says, I've called you. Go in the strength of yours. Wow. So sometimes we grow sluggish because, yeah, we have a low self-image. We think, well, I'm hopeless. But the amazing thing, and again, just reading in Mark this week, it says, Jesus sent the 12 out. Well, he sent them two by two. He said, now go and do this and this and this. Well, it's so early on in the gospel stories. I mean, these guys are hopeless. They're arguing. They say, I think I'm most important. I think I'm the most important. Who do you think is the most important? And they say, no, don't let him come. Keep the children away or keep that blind beggar back. I mean, they're useless. And Jesus says, now go. And they come by and say, even the demons are subject to us. You think, wow. See, Jesus is never limited. He says, I chose the weak things and the foolish things. He said, but I'm so weak. Great, you qualify. I'm so stupid. Hallelujah, you're through. See, <laughs> God, it's no good saying, I can't, if God says, I've chosen you. If God chose us, And so that's the answer. Being chosen, the wonder of being chosen. The the Bible's very clear. God chose Abraham. Jesus said to the disciples, you haven't chosen me. If you're a believer here this morning, it's not you chose God. God chose you and ordained you to go and bring forth fruit, to have an inheritance. That's what he chose you for. If he initiated it, he's not put off by how weak you feel. It's not like God said to Abraham, Abraham, multiply, be fruitful. And then Abraham says, by the way, uh, God, I'm a hundred and she's barren. Oh, oh, sorry, Ab- oh, I, ha, Abraham, sorry, she looks so young, I had no idea. Yeah. You know, she's still a winner and guys are interested in her. I didn't, I didn't realize, sorry, as if you could. No, no, God is saying, I knew you were weak when I called you. Dear friends, God knows your weakness. God hears you when you pray. Say, oh God, I'm sorry, I'm so weak. But he knows you. And it's no reason to think we can't get in. Because if you take it on board, I'm hopeless, you will get sluggish. Because, well, what can I do? It undermines you pressing on. So, yeah, no understanding of the big vision, seeing how weak you are. Another thing that can make you sluggish is setbacks. Things you never thought would happen. Things you think, well, I, I didn't think that would happen. And delays. Jesus said about the parable of the sower, he says, the seed goes, and when you first hear it, you think, wow, that's me. Yes, Lord. And then it says, when the sun burns upon it, so it doesn't say if, it's when. Sun tends to come up. When it's, 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 it gets tested, you get a word, God says something to you, you think, yes, Lord. And then, ouch, the sun hurts. I never thought it would be like that. Oh, I thought they'd all jump for it. Oh, I thought, I thought my dad would be pleased I'd become a Christian. I thought my guys at work, would, I, huh, I, all right, forget it. I thought if I was going to become a, a, a woman of intercession, I thought I'd just wake up in the mornings and I'd just feel, let's go for it. And I, I feel, let's stay in bed a bit longer. And so you get disappointed with yourself. 
and think, oh, I don't know, what's the point? So you become sluggish through setbacks, disappointments. You think, well, let's go for it. And it doesn't work out like you thought. The whole thing you put your hopes on, mm, and so sluggishness creeps in. Now, what do we mean by sluggishness? Let's get into it a bit. Let's kind of investigate. I believe it's possible to get sluggish mentally, right? Mentally, so that you become, as Jesus called it, dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. Bored. Indifferent, really. Like, when's he going to finish? And how long do we have to wait before the coffee? And, uh, you know, stuff like that. Like, like, oh, another meeting? You mean praying again? Because you just get bored with it, really. And, 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 And your mind isn't curious. You don't become kind of fascinated. Paul writes to one group, he says, by now you should be teachers. But I'm only, I'm only a young Christian. You see, we talk about young Christians. I'm only a young Christian. I've been saved six years. Jesus sent guys three years to be apostles. And so he says, by now you should be teachers. In other words, you're a bit further ahead. Come on, you should be giving away now. You should be bringing. And so the kind of mental kind of, you're not interested. Now, if I, if I just say to you this morning, this book, Incomparable, is absolutely fantastic, wonderful, and amazing. Written by a young guy in his 20s called Andrew Wilson. I mean, it is the most extraordinary book. Every chapter is only like three or four pages long. It's written with teenagers in mind, actually. It's called, it'll be under the Survivor uh, label, which is a young people's label. It, I used it through my quiet time, day after day. I just, wanted to, I just couldn't wait to see what he's going to say. It is funny. It is stimulating. It is fascinating. It's about God. And it, and it goes about 31 chapters. I couldn't, I thought, I want to get, what's he going to say this time? Now, see, if that sort of thing, what's he talking about a book now? If that does that to your brain, if, see, there's a little pile of them on the shelf. I borrowed this one. If you're not sluggish, you would be one of the first on there and say, let's have that. I shared about this at Prayer and Fasting in England. That's where we get our 800 pastors together. They sold out 200. Whoom! Just went. I said to the guy, have you got enough? Before I spoke about it. He said, oh yeah, we've got over 200. I spoke about it. At the end, he said, they've all gone. Why? Why have they all gone? Because all the guys want to know more about God. They're on their toes. They want to learn more. They want their minds stimulated. They don't want to say, oh, I know about Jesus. They want to know some more. Do you want to know some more? I want to know. I want to get into it. I want to know. This is my life. I've given up all sorts of things for this. I want to know about him. And so you get your mind stimulated. You get fascinated about God, about his person, about his ways. You say, I want to investigate. I'm saying this is the biggest thing in the world. But I need to investigate it. Even to go on holiday, you have to investigate something. We're talking about getting to know God. So, yeah, our minds need to be stimulated. If you get sluggish, you think, oh, I don't know, when I last read a Christian book, mm, sounds a bit sluggish. Or maybe emotionally. The challenge that continually Jesus brings to his disciples is this. He says, he was amazed at their hardness of heart. He says that several times in the Gospels. These are his inner group. He's amazed at their hardness of heart. In other words, emotionally, there's come a kind of crust. There's a skin on the custard. <laughs> a, you know, they're, they're not 
hate, you've got a heart of heart. And he says, challenges them to that. He says, come on, what's wrong with you? And emotionally, they've settled for a low level of life. What should we do tonight? I'll watch television. Well, what a big deal. Well, we settled for it. We settled for, well, this is, this is life then. This is all we expected. And we said, well, have a high spot. Get an escapism. No, no, God wants you emotionally engaged and fulfilled and excited. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. He didn't say, I've come that you might have meetings and have them abundantly. But he wants to invade our lives. He wants to give us emotional fulfillment beyond anything anyone's ever had. When the church first burst on the scene, people said, oh, they're a lot of drunks. Because they were so full of God, emotionally. They were not bored. It says it was joy unspeakable. You often stop and think about this phrase. Joy unspeakable, that means indescribable joy, and full of glory. That's an amazing statement. That's the Christian experience. Unspeakable joy, full of glory. And so I said, in your mind, you become sluggish. You don't bother to engage, investigate, learn more. In your emotions, well, we find that other things really make us kick in. One of the things I found when I went to the Baptist church, when I first got saved, and I said goodbye to all my friends, and I tell you, we enjoyed life. I was at jazz club, I was getting out to this and that, and we all sorts of stuff I could waste time talking about. It was fun, though. And I went to church, and they were going through the motions. And when the meeting stopped, all the young people gathered and talked about motorbikes. You realize the meeting was a bore. The motorbikes were the excitement, or the girls, or the guys. You think, oh, that's, oh, I see. As I came in as a novice, I thought, oh, I see, that's what they're excited about. How weird. I've come from that, and I'm trying to find God. And I found quite a sluggish gang who were more excited about talking about girls and motorbikes than they were about God, who I just found. Emotionally finding fulfillment in lesser things. And then, thirdly, out of that kind of weak-willed, right? So mind, heart, will. So we can't be bothered. We can't be bothered. Let me just remind you, maybe you'd like to turn there in Proverbs. I didn't give you a reading earlier, so if you want to, I'm just in Proverbs 6, where you'll find that the, the, the writers of the Proverbs, of the Proverbs rather, Solomon and others, they give us some extraordinary insights. And so it says in Proverbs 6, 6, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief officer or ruler, prepares her food in summer and gathers her provision in harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond. Your need like an armed man. So he's describing the sluggard, right? So we just spend a little time looking at what the proverb says about the sluggard. He's a character you find often in proverbs. First thing about him is he won't take responsibility. He will not take responsibility. Ed Cole, who's a great uh, speaker to men's meetings, you may have seen some of his books, he says this, the popular notion is that maturity comes with age. Not true, he says. You get old with age. 
Maturity comes with acceptance of responsibility. That's how you grow mature. When you let the thing come to you, I'll handle it. When you take responsibility. He goes on to say this, you can grow, he said you're only young once, but you can stay immature all your life. Now isn't that a hint of what Sue was talking about, or Susan was talking about earlier in the meeting? The folly of going back, the folly of not going forward. He's saying, you're only young once, but you can stay immature. Have you seen that? I've seen that. I've seen young men and women, I think, gosh, you're very shrewd for such a young guy or girl. You can meet another person and think, well, you may be older, not much maturity there. Yeah, you can stay mature, immature all your life. Again, uh, kidness is this. Uh, uh, Kidner has written a commentary on Proverbs. Let me just read this to you. He says about the sluggard, he does not commit himself to a refusal but deceives himself by smallness of his surrenders. So by inches and minutes, his opportunities slip away. So the little passage I read to you, it's not like he says, no, I won't. He doesn't refuse, he doesn't, but, but just, he doesn't press through. He doesn't, he lets things go by inches and by minutes. If you're in Proverbs, just turn over to 26. Just quickly look at Proverbs 26. Read a few more verses about the sluggard. In verse 13, Proverbs 26, verse 13, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a lion in the open square. As the door, this is a funny one, as the door turns on its hinges, so does the sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish He's weary of bringing it to his mouth again. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who give a discreet answer. So what he's saying is this. The sluggard's almost a comic character here. He has foolish excuses. I'm not going out, there's a lion outside. He says things like, as a door turns on its hinge... And Kidna says, notice he's not just anchored, he's hinged in his bed. He's just in his bed. As the door turns on his hinge, so the sluggard turns on his bed. He's kind of hinged to it. It's a hilarious kind of image. He won't finish what he started. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. He's always looking for the soft choice. And let's understand this. The, the slugger's not really painted here as a strange person. He's, he's like an ordinary person who won't see things through. Makes excuses, postpones. Doesn't make sure things work out. And then last of all in this, it says in Proverbs 13 and verse 5, the sluggard craves but gets nothing. Now that to me was one of the biggest shocks. I didn't think the sluggard wanted anything. I don't think the sluggard had any ambition. I thought a sluggard is someone without ambition. But no, no, the Bible, inspirationally, says no, the sluggard craves but gets nothing. Because it's in his heart, well, I'd love to, but mm, I put my hand in the dish, I can't be bothered to lift it again. Or there's a lion outside, or I'm just turning on my bed again. So you can have desires. 
but you don't see them through. So here's the, here's the sluggard. can be in, in, in your mind. You're not, you're not alive in your brain, in your emotion, and in your will to see things through. Don't be sluggish, right? Let's come now, finally then, to, to the last part of this passage. He says, I don't want to be sluggish. I want you to be an imitator, right? So an imitator, it's interesting that in the New Testament, the word imitation is never used negatively. It's funny, we often think, oh, it's imitation. And we use the word negative. Not, the, not authentic, it's a copy. But the Bible never, never uses the word imitation negatively. Every time it says imitate, it's positive. Imitate. Now, I guess you've seen some imitators. I, uh, I've seen some Elvis imitators, and they've been ranged from pathetic to quite remarkable, actually. And you can see Louis Armstrong imitators, and Wendy and I were on holiday recently, and there was a Dean Martin imitator. And he was amazing. I mean, really superb. You think, wow, it sounds like Dean Martin. And uh, you think, how do they do that? Well, an imitator, I guess, listens very carefully and watches every nuance and movement and really copies well. And so he's saying here, now look, imitate. Be imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Right? That's what Paul is saying. He says, look, don't switch off. Don't, you'll miss out. You don't want to come in that day and meet Jesus. He says, what do you do? Well, I, I hid it away. Ah, oh, you lazy, foolish servant. And we want to come to Jesus and he want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I know we say that virtually every funeral, but that's not necessarily representing Jesus. Jesus is really going to look quite closely. And he's wanting to be able to uh, applaud and, and, and express appreciation. And so he's saying, now look, imitate. Now how do we, how do we imitate? We'll watch closely and see what happens. So we can look at guys. So what happens? You find Joseph, he's a boy. God comes to him and gives him a promise. God says, can you see this? They're all going to bow down. You're going to have a position. God gives him a promise about his inheritance. Then, what happens is the exact opposite of what you'd expect. Isn't that true? You know, there's jo Joseph. Hey, I've seen the vision. I mean, he's ever so naive. Hey, brothers, you're going to bow down to me. Oh, yeah. You know, he's stuffed in a hole, sold to Egypt. I didn't expect this. You know, this is, the visions are this, but that, I'm, I'm further away from it than I've ever been. And you follow the story. That's why it's so good, dear friends, to look at the stories of men like Joseph and, and men like Nehemiah and David and these great Bible heroes who none of them find, oh, it's easy. We just coast through. God says to David, I anoint you king. What happens next? Well, there's a spear just going past his nose from Saul. You know, I'm against you. I'm going to kill you. God said, now listen, God said, and at one point it says of David, his heart was really flagging, and Jonathan, his dear friend, came and said, listen, don't you remember what God said to you? God said, you'll be the king. Oh yeah, God said. And he finds himself again, and he says, why are you cast down my soul, hoping God? How do we inherit? Well, we imitate these people. We see how it was for them. We see how hard it was, how the setbacks. We, we see, oh gosh, when there were difficulties, when there were, there were problems, uh, they still pressed through. Abraham and Sarah, there's delays, there's setbacks. They even tried something else. It doesn't work, but they get back to. And God says, come on, you can still arrive. Jonah runs in the other direction. And God pursues him. 
says that the word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah. Exactly the same word. Not, oh, you blew that, have another word. Not, oh, Jonah, you are such a pain. Amos, come on, come and do it. Forget Jonah. No, no. The word comes again to Jonah. Exactly the same word. It's wonderful. And he's reinstated. Dear friends, maybe you think you've dropped the ball. Maybe you think, well, I've set my you know, plan B now. God says, look, the word comes a second time. Come on. And we have to learn from these dear friends. God, God knows our vulnerability. He chose weak things. So he knows he's got a problem. He doesn't say, oh, she's amazing. He's brilliant. Have him. Have him. No, no. He chooses the weak. So he sets himself a problem. He's got people like you and me. And so the Bible shows us how he works with weak people and gets them through. People like Abraham, ah, oh, this is hopeless. David, ah, oh, this is useless. I shall die at the hand of Saul one day. He gets that low. Elijah says, let me die. You know, praise the suicide prayer. <laughs> Have you been there? I mean, the suicide prayer is not so far away from us than we sometimes think it is. People say, I don't want to live. If it wasn't for the kids, I'd finish. You think, God, how, how close was that? Elijah prayed it. That's after Carmel. He's called down fire from heaven. He says, I want to die. God, these people, they're useless. No, they're, they're great heroes. And dear friends, God can take you and me from our pathetic, you know, we hear, God hears your prayers and mine. God, why did you choose me? I'm so hopeless. He says, now look, 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 I did it with David. I did it with Abraham. I got Jonah through. I got them through. Come on. Come on, let's go. Let's believe. Let's not give in. And so it says about them that they had promises from God. Now, beloved, this book is full of promises. It's alive with promises. And some of them are underlined in your Bibles. Because God made them so real to you. Sometime God just made that so real. Maybe you're one of those guys who puts a date in the diary or puts a date in the margin. And God just made that live to you. You've got promises. The book's full of promises. And so faith, dear friends, is not us trying to force our will on God. It's not saying, all right then, okay, we're going to be a man of faith. Terry says we should be a man of faith. I'm going to go home and think of something I'm going to accomplish. No, no, no. It doesn't start that way. You don't have to prove yourself by initiating. What you have to do is believe the promises. God initiates. God has said things in his word that are true for all of us. And God has, will say things to you that are particularly true for you. Amazingly true for you. So Abraham is described in Hebrews 7, 6 as the man with the promises. That phrase caught my attention. God, what a name. What a, what a way to describe someone. Well, there goes the man with the promises. Do you know some men and women with promises? It's an incredible privilege. He said, oh, there's the guy with the promises. I want to get closer to him. He's got the promises. Hudson Taylor went into China like that. The man with the promises. He went with the promises. And sometimes that's all you've got. You've just got the promise. You just cling to the promise. When my son went to university, he went off to Newcastle in the north of England, and he said, Dad, I need some money. And he said, can you put some money in the bank? You know, kids are great, aren't they? 
I saw a bumper sticker on the car. It says, money isn't everything, but it does keep the kids in touch. <laughs> My dad, yes. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll send you some money every month. He said, well, what, can you put it? I said, no, I'd like to write to you every month. So I said, I'll send you a check every month. They said, okay. And on the strength of that, he went. And all he had, the silly boy, was my promise. And he seemed to be pretty happy with that. And it came through every month. All he had, Dad said, it'll be there. He, had the, he, was, he was the guy with the promise. He had the promise. The promise of the father. The father said, I'll, I'll send it every month. Came every month. That's what God says, no, I've given you promises. Now don't be sluggish about the promises. It's hard to put value on God promised you things. How do you evaluate that? The God who made Mount Everest and the Pacific Ocean has promised you things. How can you dare be sluggish about it? How can we afford to, oh, well, it's a book of promises, they say. Hey, it's dynamic. It says of Abraham in Romans 4, he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. This is a very, very important verse. Fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. That is a dynamic, powerful Bible verse. Fully persuaded. So how do you get persuaded? Well, let it persuade you. Let it argue with you. How do you get persuaded? Shall we go to this or shall we go to that? Would you like one of these? Let me persuade you. Let God persuade you. He became persuaded that what God had promised, God said, you old man and you barren woman, you will have a child. Kind of crazy. And it says, Abraham grew strong in faith, giving God glory, fully persuaded that what God promised. God didn't think, oh, I didn't realize she's barren. Oh, you are an old guy, aren't you? No, God knew what he was saying. Fully persuaded that what God has promised, he's able to fulfill. Don't, don't be sluggish about things like that. God has made you tremendous promises. And so we take the promises. We go with the promises. Faith responds to God's initiatives. The promises begin with him. So we need to have faith. And then this other word, don't be sluggish, but through faith and patience. Patience. You see these guys. You see Abraham. How long? The unfolding of the promise. Joseph, David. When Joseph became 30, he came right into his promise. He had to wait a long time from a teenager. 30, still got life ahead of him, but he got it. He's right there next to Pharaoh. He's running the nation. David went through heartache. He was a teenager when he took Goliath out. But then setback, pain, hostility, patience, patience. When he was 30, he's a made king. Had a huge fulfilled ministry. But he had to be patient during those years of setback, danger, people not believing him, people saying, oh, I know your bad motives. You just got your own motives. No, he's just trying to follow God. But he went through. And if you want to serve God, you will go through such times where people will say, oh, I know you. I know what you're after. But I'm only trying to serve God. I know people will search you out. People will challenge your motives. People, and God will let that happen to you. 
to train you, get you ready for being in the place God has for you. Faith and patience. And Paul, James says this, the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. See, so although you can come to faith this morning, if you're not a Christian, you can come straight in now. I want to be a Christian. I'm, I'm so glad mum and dad are, but I want to know today. You can do that. Faith is immediate. Inheriting things takes longer. Getting everything God has for you. Pressing through to obtain setbacks, delays, hardships, sudden disappointments. Now, it takes time. But you're saved from the beginning. You're right with God. You can, the man on the cross said, save me, Jesus. says, you'll be with me in heaven today. You know, today. It's immediate. Inheriting takes time. So let's not drift away from the promises. Don't drift away from them. As one of the guys at home, Nigel Waller, had a terrific vision, prophecy, brought into one of our prayer weeks at home. He said, uh, he said God's just shown me. He said, that I've, it's like I've been in an art gallery. And he said, I see paintings or photographs. And he said, God says this, the photos you have in your hand have become gray and almost like sepia. It's hard to see them. You're, they're getting more and more faded. And he said, but in God's museum, art gallery, he said the paintings are as sharp, colorful, and bright as when they were first done. He said, you, you, for you, they've become, I don't know, I think he said. And God says, no, no, in my presence, they're as sharp as they ever were. Hallelujah. God's promises don't grow pale. They are sharp and clear. I remember once when we were at home and we used to have prayer days, we still do, gift days. And we'd have a gift day once every quarter, or one, three times a year, actually. And we were praying for 100,000 every time. And I remember one time when we, we had 100,000, and we had 100,000, and we're praying, give us another 100,000 for the autumn gift day. We're crying out, God, give us 100,000 pounds. And the offering came in, and it's 85,000. I thought, well, praise God for 85,000. That's tremendous. 200,000, 100,000, 100,000, 85,000. Thank you, Jesus. I am so pleased. And as I'm saying it in my heart, I felt God said to me, I thought we were talking about 100,000. You settling for this then? I mean, it was, so, it was like, oh, it really shocked me. It really, I thought God said to me, I thought we were talking about 100,000. You happy with this? I thought, no, I'm not happy with this. Well, come on then. Come after me. Come after me. You're going to have you settle for this? I thought, I would have done. I'm not going to. So we prayed again and cried to God again. Wow, we went through the 100,000. I thought, no, I would have settled. I would have settled for it. I, I would have said, okay. And you, you could maybe have settled. So well, I'm still here in church. I'm just giving my offering. I'm, I'm singing the songs. But are you still clinging to the promises? Are you fighting for the promises? Are you saying, Lord, I want to lay hold of things. I want to lay hold of that for which you laid hold of me. See, every one of us, we've got a relationship with God. That's what makes your relationship with him so intimately yours. You're not just in church, you're believing God. 
And it's the, it's the intimacy of saying, Father, I want this from you. You said. That's what keeps the intimacy. That's what keeps the relationship. That's what keeps you pumping with life. That's what makes it personal for you. But you're not just going with the crowd. That's what makes you distinctive. That's what makes you unique. God made you a promise. That's uniquely yours and your relationship with him. And so you keep clinging to that promise. He spoke to you. This is how God keeps us going, dear friends. We gather as a crowd, but amongst us, we've got individuals saying, I'm believing you for this. I'm believing you for this. I'm trusting you for this. My dad will get saved. My kids will come to God. My business will prosper. You will make me a blessing in this school. I'm believing you for it. I'm not going to settle for just going along. I'm not settling for it. I'm going to press through with you. The promises that you made me. Paul says at the end of his life, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. He says, I I kept pressing through to it. You living with the promises? Just close by reminding you of Jesus. So good, isn't it, to have him in our focus? This isn't just a pep talk. It's not like uh, some coach at half time saying, try harder in the second half. You know, belt them a bit. We've got Jesus, eh? Look at Jesus in Luke 24 when those two guys are walking down the Emmaus Road. They said, we had hoped, but he's dead. Some people say the grave's empty, but there are any women. Who knows? That's the Jewish view at that day. And Jesus comes and he just fires their heart again. Opens the scripture. Tells them everything about himself. And they said, our hearts burned. Well, there's Peter. He said, I'm going fishing. He's lost it. And he's caught nothing. And Jesus calls him. Have you caught anything? Nah. And he said, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. He's calling me again. It's the Lord calling me. It's just Peter jumped out of the boat. And he just jumped. He's not waiting for the boat. He's jumping. He swam. And Jesus says, come on, Peter. Do you still love me? I'm still for you, Peter. You're still for me? I can, I can get you back. I can get you right on course. I love the way Jesus reinstates Peter. He says at the end, you know, I imagine Jesus forgives him. You know, I don't know him. I'm not with him. Why? Because well, he's following a way off. Following, but mm, following afar off in that vulnerable context. There's Jesus, there's Peter following far off. Then a woman catches him and says, you're with him. No, I don't know him. Curses, swears. No, I don't know him. Not with him. And Jesus says, come on, Peter. You still love me? You still love me? Come on then, feed my flock. What, again, you want me? You mean I can still do it? Yeah, feed my sheep. I can feed them. Imagine on the day of Pentecost. There's the day of Pentecost. There's the crowd. There's the 12, there's Peter on the edge saying, go for it, guys, go for it. Go on, James, sock it to him. It's great to be back in the crowd. Thanks for letting me back in, guys. I know I blew it, but go go on, James. No, no, no. Peter's the spokesman. The guy who's denied him. Peter, standing with the 11, says, man, and is wow. I tell you what, Jesus knows how to reinstate people. He knows how to get you back on course. He can reinstate you. Let's pray.
Perhaps we could stand to pray, please. And Let's just draw close to Jesus. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you first loved us. We thank you, you see us, Lord. You see us in our frailty. We thank you, you're never shocked by our frailty. Thank you, you want always to meet us on the beach. We're staggered at your your ability to uh, get the food ready for us as though we deserve something. Jesus, thank you for your ability to reinstate, to get us out of sluggishness. Holy Spirit, I do pray that you would just call many of us this morning that we may not be sluggish in our minds, our emotions, our activity, to slip away from the promise and settle, just to tick over instead of press through. Holy Spirit, please do what you want to do in every life here. I just want to give you opportunity this morning if you're saying, I, I just want to really jump off the boat. I want, to, I want to swim to Jesus. I, I, just, I just want to come to him afresh and say, Lord, I don't want to let go of the promise. Please don't let me let go of the promise. Please don't let me grow sluggish. If you know God's kind of been warmly inviting you, why don't you just slip out of your row and just come here, stand here at the, at the front. Let's just come right now, please. And we'll pray for you.